Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello once again, and welcome to Rainer Hirsch's Proms in the Pub. My name is Rainer Hirsch. I'm a conductor and a comedian. And this is my cheeky pop-up podcast about the BBC Proms in the Albert Hall. Well, over the last few days, I attended, by watching on telly, Prom 10 Music for Royal Occasions, hosted once again by newsreader Clive Myrie. And it started me wondering, what is it with newsreaders presenting classical music? It's a thing going all the way back to that grandee of newsreader classical presenters, Richard Baker, in the 70s and 80s, now followed by John Suchet, Katie Derham, Moira Stewart, Zeb Soans, I mean, they're all good, Zeb Soans is a particular favourite, but it's a veritable plague. It just confirms to me that classical music has to be perceived as being sensible, reliable, and for sensible and reliable read, a bit dull. So needs sensible and reliable people to talk about it. When's it going to go the other way? When are we going to hear a musical commentator reading the news? If you've been listening to this podcast, you will know that my vote would go to BBC Radio 3's Tom Service, who would make a cat stuck in a tree sound like his life depended on it. And naturally, it would have to be followed by an hour-long analysis of very similar cats, which had been stuck in other virtually indistinguishable trees, and how each one of them had changed the course of cats in trees forever. Clive is trying hard to be cool, but it, it's hard to get away from the sense that he's reading the autocue and expressing wonder and admiration, because, well, that's what it says in the script. 200 times more authentic was his guest, Karen Gibson, leader of the Kingdom Gospel Choir, the one that sang Stand By Me at the wedding of Harry and Meghan a few years ago. Honest, connected to the music, and genuinely enthusiastic. Great necklace and white nail varnish too, by the way. Hope she comes back. And so, the concert. Music for royal occasions means basically a celebration of English and Handel composers. Even the composer John Ireland, who, nice try John, was born in Cheshire, though I did have to look that up. No other nationality would be quite as balmy as to write music celebrating the lives of our British royal family, unless they wanted to be lynched. The BBC Concert Orchestra doing a professional, if slightly, one-size-fits-all job. Well, what else could they do? It was styles from Benjamin Britten, Edward Elgar, to even music written by King Henry, wife murderer the Eighth. I thought they were at their best in moments which match the stuff they usually do. Things like William Walton's Orb and Scepter March. Then there was Hubert Parry's Choral Introit, I was glad. So was I when it was over. Dull, dull, dull. My favourite, like many people, was George Frederick Handel's coronation anthem, Zadok Got Pissed. Sure you know it. Zadok Got Pissed. Zadok Got Pissed. 
and peed on the carpet. And I know a song about it. Adding the words, the BBC singers, only 24 of them, but singing from the diaphragm, no sniggering, not that kind of diaphragm, supporting the sound, enunciating, resulting in a more focused and beautiful effect than all the massed choirs of the prom's first night when we heard Verdi's theatrical requiem, though slightly less theatrical than Verdi had intended. Man of the match, definitely the tuba player, who looked ever so slightly like our former Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak, comically puffing away. One big puff for every four notes, it looked like, followed closely by the cymbal player, who also seemed to have a camera to himself. I look forward to the release of their first album. Now, Piers Lane is one of Britain's most loved pianists. A phenomenally powerful technician, he's capable of bravura performances of everything from the Busoni Piano Concerto to Dudley Moore's parody on the Colonel Bogey tune. But he's also known for championing new music and playing some of the most delicate pieces in the repertoire, the complete Chopin nocturnes, just as a for instance. Piers lives in darkest South London, but armed with a map, some Kendall mint cake and a couple of flares just in case, producer Julian Mayers and I set forth to meet him. Firstly, thank you for inviting us into your home. My great pleasure. In South London, where we are now, lovely, with an amazing view over South London, well, South London right towards the centre, right towards the Shard and beyond. It's amazing, on New Year's Eve particularly, yeah. I get a fantastic free fireworks display. And the other thing is, um, uh, when one sees one, your name in programmes, it's Piers Lane A.O. Right. So we are, it's a, that is a special thing, isn't it? Oh, it did feel very, you know, it did feel special actually. A.O. A by the way, because it's not an order of Australia. Well, it's an officer in the order of Australia because there are quite a few different levels as there are here. And it was given by the Queen, in fact, and it was in her uh, Diamond Jubilee year, 2012. So it felt extra special. And I could have had it presented at Buckingham Palace, but in the end had it presented in Australia by a Governor-General instead. Do you know what it is? AO is slightly unusual abbreviation. One's used to o OBE mm -hmm. and CB. So I looked up what, what else AO stands for. I dread to think. Area of Operations, <laughs> All Outdoors. <laughs> that's used by... That's a community abbreviation, it says. <laughs> Always open. <laughs> That's a phrase. Spread that around. <laughs> that is used in electronics. <laughs> wow. I don't know. Every, the switch is always on. Always oscillating. <laughs> electronic. That's another electronics one. Analog out. Obviously electronics. Administration officer. Doesn't feel like that applies. But you, you, you've done so many festivals and stuff. I mean, that's a zip. That, you might be an administration officer. You might put that as a thought. Um, aerial observer. That's Well, from my upstairs bathroom. Exactly. Military abbreviations. Uh, Agent Orange. Core. And I've seen your that garden. sounds like the Moonies. I've seen your garden. It looks wonderful. Um, amateur owner. Sports abbreviation. These are the official abbreviations. I haven't made this up. No, I appreciate that. Alpha Amiga. Well, that covers everything, doesn't it? Exactly. Uh, Fears Lane, Alpha... <laughs> you just need the and. Alpha and Omega. 
and uh, absolutely obscene. <laughs> I made that one up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that it is an honour. I don't mean to make light of it, but um, that's something special. And you know, your mum and dad were they had they been there would have been super proud were they not thank you you grew up in australia you were born in the uk but grew up in australia you know everything yes how <laughs> not everything but i'm you know if you give me another five minutes alone in this room i'll i'll have read the rest of it um you 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 grew up in australia i mean how what kind of profile did the proms have when you were a child well, I knew about the proms because of my parents. My mother came from North Queensland. She was actually born in Townsville, where I ran the Australian Festival of Chamber Music for 11 years, uh, tropical North Queensland. But she went to the Royal College of Music in London and met my father, who was a Londoner. And so they went to the proms, among other things, and they had old programmes from the proms in the 50s and my mother's piano teacher Kendall Taylor uh, was a regular performer at the proms in those years so I used to hear about those occasions. Um, I was aware while I was in Australia I suppose, well my teacher Nancy Weir had played the Bach for piano concerto at the proms under Sir Henry Wood, she other things as well, knew about the proms from that angle as well and um, so it was in your kind of... It was, it was in my awareness very much. You played five times at the proms. Let, let, I let's... played six times at the proms. Six times at the proms. But different prom. One of them was a chamber prom right. in the Victoria and Albert Museum with the no longer existent Vellinger String Quartet. We did the Elgar Quintet, I seem to recall. But yeah, five times in the Albert Hall. Mm. The first one was, I think it was 1988. It was the Australian Bicentenary Year. And I had an agent at the time who was Australian, actually, and she had the brainwave to invite John Drummond, the controller of, well, the director of the proms, um, to a Radio 3 live broadcast I was doing in Broadcasting House. It's a wonderful little concert hall there, which afterwards became a sort of gaming hall, I think. <laughs> for Well, for, you know, it was used for, for totally different sorts of programmes. We're but talking about the one with the organ in it. I did many broadcasts from there, and in fact, I think my very first one... <laughs> I never bothered to look at contracts and things. And I used, when I was young, to like to turn up and walk on stage three minutes later, you know, not have time to think backstage or get cold or nervous or anything, boom. And a friend of mine who had a lot to do with my early success, and in fact, who made me audition for the BBC because I'd sort of avoided it, a wonderful lady called Erica Goddard, made me audition for the BBC, got me my first concertos, um, in fact, there was a funny story with that because I was invited to do the Emperor Concerto. I was coming back from Australia and Erica rang me and said, do you play the Emperor? I said, no. Uh, she said, well, you'd better learn it quickly. You're playing it in 10 days time at the Barbican. Oh my goodness. And so, you know, mir miraculously, it was on the playlist on the plane, Radu Lupu, one of my favourite pianists. You learned it from his recording on the I plane. I listened so many times between Australia and London. I practically knew it from memory when I got here. And, um, and did do it. So, you know, Erica did things like that. She made me have publicity photos taken, all of the things young people avoid getting done. And um, anyway, she drove me to my first BBC broadcast at Broadcasting House. And she used to keep Labradors and six of them came to the BBC with us and one of them was sick on the way. <laughs> there are so many memorable times involving Erica. But um, 
I turned up and they'd chosen a CD program, or not in those days, CDs possibly. Um, they didn't think I was coming and they, they'd sort of organised an alternative program. And I walked in sort of 10 minutes before I was due on air and <laughs> and did do it. But I think it might even have been that occasion that John Drummond turned up, thanks to this agent writing to him at the last minute and saying, might you come downstairs to the concert hall? And I played the Bach Buzoni Chacon and all of the preludes, Opus 23 of Rachmaninoff. And next thing, I had an invitation to play Rachmaninoff 1 at the proms. Fantastic. It was wonderful. What is that thing about turning up at the last minute? What, what, what was that about? It was just, I think actually, when I think about it, now you ask, it's because my father was always late. When I grew up in Brisbane, he would drive me to the concerts and we'd be lucky we arrived before the concert was due to start. And so it worked out that I went into the dressing room and adjusted my time, walked out on stage. <laughs> I think that might have been the start of it, but for quite a while... I did want just to do that, you know. Hmm. Um, now it's completely different. I turn up way early and rehearse and then have about an hour and a half off before the concert. So, OK, you did Rachmaninoff first piano concerto, which is actually, yeah. you know, it's not... If it's a Rachmaninoff concerto, you'd think two or three, but uh, one is not that or much Or the Paganini done. Rhapsody. Exactly. That's right, and it was done even less then. Hmm. And um, it's a glorious piece. In fact, I've made it one of the choices for the Sydney Piano Competition finals mm. next year. I direct the Sydney International Piano Competition. It's one of the top half dozen competitions in the world, along with Leeds and Queen Elizabeth and the Tchaikovsky and the Van Cliburn. Piers Lane, and Administrative Officer. Oh, there you go. Yep. And um, yes, I've, I wanted to get rid of every single finalist playing Rack 2 or 3, Tchaikovsky 1 or coffee of three or two mm. and so I'm giving them a choice of 15 concertos to play with the Sydney Symphony for the finals they play two concertos um, an 18th century one and then a more recent one but I've made Rachmaninoff one one of the choices next year because it's actually a tricky piece to pull off I think and it's got some of the most ravishing Rachmaninoff in it of any concerto. Um, why is it tricky? Um, the last movement's hard to to align with the orchestra properly and, and it's abrupt and zippy. There are these ravishing, ravishing moments of piano writing, you know, that have to shine out over the orchestra as well. And yes, you haven't got the orchestra, the audience necessarily on side from the beginning because they don't know it as well as they know Rachmaninoff too. They know what they want to hear and so they hear it whether it's there or not probably. <laughs> Okay, so you've done that, and then um, the year later, more uh, Russian-y Shostakovich too. Shostakovich too, which I also was doing for the first time, and what a glorious piece that is! That slow movement is just yeah, heaven. Isn't it, it is absolute bliss. I played a lot of, of Russian music in those days still love to yeah um but yeah it was amazing to play that piece and i had already at that stage i think played with maxim shostakovich uh the son uh not for whom piece. it was written yeah for whom that piece was written and there's that lovely tale of him not practicing his scales and his hanan and so on and so it was written into the last moment all these exercises <laughs> 
his father got back at him. And then, right, then we, are, then we, then we break away in your proms career right. into what I think is sort of classic Piers Lane territory, which are these concertos. Now, you played a lot of concertos in your life. How, how many, roughly? I think it's 108 now. Yeah. Do you, have you got a notches on the piano? <laughs> <laughs> That's something else, the notches. But, you know, having said that, there's, there's certain wonderful concerti that I haven't played from the core repertoire. Like, I've done the left-hand concerto of Ravel, but not the G major, which I would love to play sometime. How interesting. Somebody wrote that that slow movement is the greatest aria since Mozart, and it is just heavenly the way that... One uh, um, wines, isn't it? Um, and I've never played any of the Bartok concerti. I've mm. only done the first Prokofiev. So I've done a lot of the core repertoire, of course, including all the Rachmaninoffs, but um, and lots of Beethoven, Mozart, and you know all that lot. But yes, I've done a heck of a lot of obscure stuff. So the first one is 1991 Arthur Bliss Piano Concerto. Yes, and that was exceedingly important to me because I learned about that piece when I was a teenager from my father who grew up in London. I've got old programs that he used to have from the problems incidentally from the 50s and um, and he introduced me to a whole whack of English music that I wouldn't have known about otherwise. The John Ireland Piano Concerto which I've played a lot and recorded as well and I remember playing a bit out of the, of the cadenza at school to some of my friends because there's a very clever passage where you have glissando on the white and the black notes at the same time or runs on white notes in one hand and black notes in the other and it's, it works wonderfully and it's very impressive and I enjoyed that as a 12 year old but um, the bliss is on a very different scale from the island and I'm thrilled that I got to play that at the proms and that my father managed to rig up a wire in the frangipani tree in the back garden in Brisbane and at some ungodly hour in the morning they got up to hear me live on the radio um, from the Royal Albert Hall and that I think must have meant a lot to my father. From the point of view of this this vast repertoire of concertos you play, now I appreciate that that doesn't mean that you can sit down at any moment and play them mm. but one of the things you started in when you were in, at Sydney was that um, uh, an event for amateurs to to celebrate and notice amateur absolutely peerless. it's amazing you should mention that this afternoon because last night i sat up till 2 a.m collating reports from the three judges to send to this year's winners and competitors wonderful well mm. speaking as um effectively an amateur myself you know i play in shows but, but i play in shows but it's not the prime reason why Anybody would have come to see me if they come at all. Um, to hear of somebody who, you know, has this concerto, like the bliss, just kind of... When somebody phones up and says, can you, can, can I, can you do the, 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 the bliss concerto or do the Moshkovsky or whatever it is, most people, uh, you know, operating on an ordinary level, that would mean, well, a, a re complete relearn. I mean, it's like, uh, it would take years, in some cases, months, certainly. How long would it take you to reconstitute a concerto like that? Look, it depends on how many times you've played it in the past. It depends on the piece. Sometimes I haven't, you know, I've played something once and then years and years and years later somebody's asked me to play it again. And I think, oh, I've done that before and I get it out. And think, did I ever play this on the first playthrough? But already three days later or so, 
it's discovered, rediscovered the neural pathways that must be somewhere in one's brain. They come back so much quicker than learning a new piece, you know. Mm. So, um, look, I've always worked on the principle that we can do whatever we're asked to do. <laughs> um, if you have two days to prepare something, you focus like crazy and you do it in two days. And I have had that uh, sometimes to do. And other times you have months and months ahead of you or a year or two ahead of you if things are booked ahead. And you end up looking at it at some point and thinking, yeah, I can leave that for the time being and then coming back some time later and gradually building up what you need to do. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. One of the people we had the great pleasure of talking to was Norma Fisher, oh. whom I know you know. Yes. Norma related the story of playing Rachmaninoff's second piano concerto with George Hurst and the BBC Northern Orchestra, as it was then, and having a memory slip in the second movement. Yes. Couldn't remember how it went. So the question is, uh, you know, these concertos, um, firstly, do you play them from memory always? Look, I always have memorised everything. Just recently, I've started using an iPad and feel free to because they're so discreet. Mm. And you can turn your own pages. You don't have any of the worry. I mean, basically, you're playing from memory all the time. And um, you've got to know know a piece in great depth, obviously. Um, But I think an iPad is a very nice tool because you can have it there for reference if you want. And it's extraordinary the number of people who are doing that now. It's funny because in the old days, it was generally expected the pianist would 
play for it's Murray. It's always been unfair, hasn't it? Pianists and violinists are expected to play concertos for Murray. Well, yes. even violinists, actually, they've had discreet, you know... Yeah, they can have their stand sitting low. And, sitting and low and, you yes. know, as an aide memoir. Plus, they've got yeah. less pages to turn because, That's you know... very true. It goes past a lot mm. slower. But pianists had to play from memory. And yeah. um, at the proms now, you do see people using iPads or the piano. And as you say, so what we're talking about, the, 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 the music um, the stand is down and the, piano, the iPad sits flat on that. You have a Bluetooth pedal by your side, which enables you to change, turn pages effectively. Yeah. Um, and nobody would know the difference. Um, I saw Alfred Brendel actually not use an iPad, but he clearly had some difficult bars tucked in, you know, something that he couldn't, or was unsure of, just a few bars of it tucked right. into the piano. Um, have we seen the end of the page turner, do you think? Well, I have various page turning friends who hope not, and there are still many pianists around who don't want to risk using iPad uh, in public. You know, they like to stick to their score. And they have bits of score sticking out everywhere, photocopies of things, or they have page turners. And fair enough. But, um, yeah, I think certainly there will be fewer page turners around. Yeah. And this, this whole culture of the pianist playing from memory, I wonder if that's changing too. Basically, you know, people... The fact is, that is another... Some people don't memorise that easily. Uh, some people, do, you know, they play it through once and they can play it from memory. It's astounding to non-musicians, but that's what they can do. Um, so it removes, you know, why should this be a test of memory when actually it's about musicality? That's absolutely right, yes. It was all down to Liszt, wasn't it, and Clara Schumann. They were the first to play. I think Liszt was the first to play with his profile to the audience. Yes. That wonderful profile. Wasn't and, that Le Beau du Sec you play with oh, his profile? But I don't oh, know. Le Beau du Sec, right. he was a man who turned himself to the side so he could open his piano. Mm -hmm. And uh, he also, so the audience can admire his beautiful profile. <laughs> a, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> maybe it's maybe. Sense. I like my French accent then, by the way. I just like enjoy it. So I wasn't quite sure what that had to do with <laughs> Duchesne, <Duchesque>, but. <laughs> um, no, no, but anyway, yeah, but that's, that's a thing that's quite absorbed. And maybe, yeah. it's, um, maybe it's changing because yes. basically, as a pianist, to play with the music, you have this big chunk of music which you're turning pages. Furiously, because yes. it goes by quick, goes by so quick. You've got two lines instead of just one, uh, and you're occupied, so you can't do it. So you need a page turner, and if that goes away, phew, yeah, maybe the whole thing about playing from memory will go away as well. It's very possible, I think. Yeah, well, even you know people as popular as Yuja Wang are using iPads all the time now. Yeah, or a lot of the time. So. Yeah, I wouldn't be at all surprised. So, okay, so the, we did the Arthur Bliss, and then 1994, this is, again, sort of, this is, this, we're in Piers Lane territory. Uh, it was a concert called A Tribute to Constant Lambert, and you played Adam Rawsthorne Concerto for Two Pianos with Catherine Sturrock. And, yes, we did the Rawsthorne Double Concerto, which was really, we'd played a lot of two piano stuff together. Yeah. Uh, we did recitals in the Queen Elizabeth Hall and various places around. It's a thing, isn't it? Something like that. When you've got two pianos, um, I'm talking about mm. promoters, and, mm. you know, promoting concerts. The proms can do that. Yes. Because they've got the resort, they've got the space, they've got two pianos. That's like, if you want three pianos, you want five pianos, sure. whatever. Um, they've got an audience that is going to come because it's the proms mm -hmm. and, you know, you're, you're mixing things up as they do. But actually, if you're an, a promoter that isn't the proms, here you've got something which requires two pianos and a piano hiring that in that's a cost. 
and yeah. you've got to get two of them on your stage. I mean, it's a difficult thing. That's right, and it's only for one piece, and you've got another whole half. Where do you put the second piano? Million things, but the problems is a festival, and it's at festivals that we hear, you know, things that can't be put on for regular concerts. Um, and all right, and then the final one uh, is 1998. Well, you also this is you did twice. You did the Elgar Piano Quintet with the Wellinger String Quartet. No more exists no more. And uh, again, Robert Simpson Concerto. Yeah. Do you remember that one? I couldn't play you the opening line now, <laughs> but... Um, Can you remember how it goes? Well, it was interesting because apparently I did a very different account of it from the one John Ogden had done. Whenever I came to do British pieces particularly, um, the only other person who'd ever played them was John Ogden quite often. It was amazing what he got through. Yeah. Incredible. And uh, yeah... Robert Simpson, I mean, amazing composer, wrote eight or nine symphonies as well yeah. and uh, did all sorts of things. And it was, it was big, serious piano writing. And uh, you, had to f you felt you really had to project. Well, you do anyway, don't you, in the Albert Hall? But uh, it, it was serious stuff. Uh, mm. You have to project. What is it, what's it like playing in the Albert Hall? It's terrifying and thrilling at the same time. You know, it's amazing having the promise standing right just there beside you when you're at the piano. Um, it's terrifying beforehand because you've got a massive hall full of people and you're going to be uh, broadcast and probably live streamed these days as well and all that sort of thing. Um, but the atmosphere is so electric and so excited and interested that somehow it's great fun as well. Yes. Um, you, by the way, so you've also had a massive career on the Beeb doing other things as a broadcaster as well. You I had install that, yeah. You had a you had a, a series called the piano, indeed, fifty four episodes. Mm -hmm. uh, you also did BBC Legends, indeed, all the piano ones for them. So yep. basically, this is people who are actually at the time you're doing them were now no longer with us. Well, often no longer with us. I remember uh, Moira Limpany calling me from Monte Carlo, wondering if I might be able to organise for her BBC broadcast to be put on CD, and um, I didn't like to say to her that it was very likely they would be after she'd passed on, but <laughs> I couldn't say anything like that, of course. And she was just the most amazing pianist and person. But yes, a lot of the legends were legends from the past. And uh, funny, I remember Hamish Milne and I were at the Newport Festival, Rhode Island as well. For um, She was meant to come, Moira Limpany, and do, uh, they were going to have an English afternoon tea, tea and scones with Moira Limpany. And she couldn't come because she was so ill at that point. And um, so Hamish and I had to be more Olympany instead. And we discussed her and uh, heard recordings of her and that sort of thing. And she was the most miraculous pianist and covered a vast repertoire too. I remember the programs I did on her and the BBC Legends, Scriabin sonatas and things you don't associate with her, you know. Well, that Russian stuff. Mm. So more Olympany, for those who might not have met that name before, she was um, active in the 20th century. She passed away when? In the... 90s? Is it that far back? I don't oh, know I don't. that it is. She, anyway, she Probably. ended up in Monte Carlo. Um, it be, I, guess. I don't think she yeah. managed her finances that well, from what I heard. Right. And, um, <laughs> but, you know, I mentioned early on the first Queen Elizabeth piano competition, which Gil Ells won. Yeah. Moore Limpany was second. Yes, 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 yes. She was that level. Do you know once that she ran a festival uh, in somewhere called Razigare? Indeed. In the France. And I'm going to do this accent again. No, I won't do that again. Um, he and I once I came back from university and I decided I wanted to be involved in music somehow. I did a telephonic tour around everybody I could think of, and 
I think I might have written a letter to Moira Limpley saying, you know, do you need any help in Razigare? I'll come over and, you know, just for a bit of experience. Didn't hear anything. And I was staying in this flat, not too far from here, actually. Clapham Common is where that flat was. Oh. And a shared flat. Um, and one fine day, the telephone rang. <laughs> uh, my flatmate picked it up and said, uh, Rainer, it's somebody called Maura Limpany. <laughs> so I, I was just so astounded. She was phoning from France. And uh, I was just, I almost dropped the phone, basically. And she said, no, darlings, you know, darling, we, no, darling, we have, a, we have lots of people helping. And um, anyway, that was my one moment of contact with Moira. Wonderful. No, she was, it was Moira, by the way. Moira. Yes. There we go. That's probably why she didn't want to have me. <laughs> I think I did pick, I did say Moira when I picked it up. But so that was, that was probably. That, would, that term, would have been a bit off-putting. That, it's like when people call Tasman Little Tamsin. Exactly. We, I know that's a thing I, I, I avoid. No to avoid. Yeah, but, you know, she'll, she's got, I think, a special set of daggers. <laughs> um, yes, anyway, so, uh, very good. Let me just, if you don't mind, if you don't indulge me, just let, can we just go through the, 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 the proms piano concertos this year? Right. And then just maybe not recognise the names of the people who are playing. Uh, the first one is, I'm going to call them the proms number because I don't know the dates. It's Rachmaninoff second and it's Alexander Gavriluk. Absolutely. A wonderful pianist and sort of half Australian. He was brought to Australia when he was a young teenager, along with five other Ukrainian pianists because their teacher, Makarov, was regarded as one of the top piano teachers in the world. And Warren Thompson, who was my predecessor as... Uh, artistic director of the Sydney International Piano Competition invited them out to Australia and so these um, young pianists were taken from Ukraine and spent their teenage years in Australia and being taught by him and Gavriluk is the one who has emerged with the biggest career of all of them and um, I yeah I'm, I'm very sad. I wanted to go to that concert. It was just last night. It was but I on ended Wednesday. up sitting up till 2 a.m. writing reports for the, the Piano Lovers competition instead. But um, he's an he gave an extraordinary performance a few years ago of Rack 3 at the Proms, and so it was Rack 2 last night, and I'm sure it was equally extraordinary. And he's going to be one of the judges for the Sydney International Piano Competition next year. How old is he? He's in his 40s somewhere. Okay, okay. Then we've got um, there's a piano recital given by Alim Bazembayev. Alim Besembayev, that's right, who won the the Leeds competition last year. Yeah. Uh, lovely young man. I remember meeting him at the Chets, at Cheatham's for the summer school a few years ago. And I'm also a trustee of the Hattori Foundation. And we give money to people we think are going to be really big in the profession and to, to save them from having to do odd jobs and things to earn their keep. We we like like what you did. Give certain, <laughs> give certain people uh, some money. Mm. And he was one of those two. He's a brilliant talent and such a nice guy. Uh, the Martineau two, two Piano Concerto. With the Lebecs. Exactly. Yes, amazing that uh, they're doing that. That's fun. Yeah. Well, again, something you're not going to hear that often. Because no, that's right. Oh, Martineau, let's get another piano in. And um, Then we've got Rhapsody in Blue, Simone Dinnerstein. Simone, is she playing that? All oh, right. Except she's with the National Youth Orchestra, I think I got that right. Right. And then there's two Mozart evenings. Uh, with Leif Ove? Yeah, exactly. And Antonis. Yeah. Uh, yes. Doing um, Mozart D minor concerto, one of, yeah. one of the absolute steady rocks of the Mozart concertos. E flat concerto. 282? Yeah, that one. That's right. I've played that and recorded it too. It's the most gorgeous piece. And the C minor concerto. 
which I'm playing next year again. And I've put that down for the Sydney Piano Competition as well. And I just think it's, oh, it's the most glorious piece. Wonderful tune. Then Yuja Wang's playing list. Which one? First. This first. Yeah. Pong. That was my first. No, it was my second concerto with orchestra. Actually, when I was sixteen, I played that and um, have played it many times since. It's it's a fantastic piece. It's you know it doesn't outstay its welcome and it's got everything a piano concerto should have. Yuja and, Wang. Yeah, she's amazing, isn't she? And goes from strength to strength. Yeah. I mean, she's <laughs> got that whole very little clothing thing going on and um and that's part of her stage allure but she's also got the the musical depth and phenomenal virtuosity to go with it she's she's an extraordinary yeah kill for a ticket person. to that one uh, and then um uh prokofiev three one of the ones yep. you know that's done a lot yep for the good for good reasons benjamin grosner doing that well our british Pianist of the moment, absolutely. And then I'm going to, uh, the proms number, so this is prom 41, is Bezod Abduraimov. Abduraimov. Yes, and he's an extraordinary pianist as well. He's had a bit to do with Australia too. He spent time out in Australia uh, in his formative years, and um, he's just a phenomenal pianist. I've heard him in St. Petersburg as well, and um, yeah, he can do a lot with a piano. Yeah, I'm going to say his name, Bezod Abduraimov. Ab Abduraimov, yeah. Um, and final one, and that's he's doing uh, Beethoven 1. And I'm going to that one, actually. Uh, they're I've doing Nielsen the Symphony, sorry? I've heard him play the Appassionata, so yes, right. Beethoven's one of the things he does. Then we've got uh, three more pieces of oh. piano music. Beethoven 4, Francesco Piemontesi. Yes, you know wonderful young pianist, yeah. Yeah, good. Um, obviously, that's an absolute, you know, core repertoire yeah. thing. Probably, if you had to rank the Beethoven concertos, it would go Emperor, four, one, three, two, wouldn't it? No, well, I think a lot of people might argue with that. I think a lot of people would put four before five, actually. Really? Yes. Many, many musicians love the four. Musicians, above all but of them. you know, the, the, it's got a, the it's public, got a nickname, right. five. But I think a lot of people would rate three before one as well, the C minor before the right. C major. Yeah. Um, anyway, we don't need to rate them like that. We can have the lot, exactly. which is just wonderful. And then, prom fifty-five is Nathan Laub, or Lauber. Mm -hmm. Forgive me, Nathan. I don't know how to say your name. Uh, playing the organ. It's an eleven thirty a.m. concert, and oh, right. he's closing with. List transcribed by Nathan Laub. Okay, himself. Piano sonata in B minor. Well, that is fascinating. Gosh. When you hear that, by the way, you are playing the Lisp sonata at the moment. You've got some recitals with that coming out. I have. I'm not playing it quite at the moment, but yes, later in the year, including Wigmore on the 28th of December, I will be playing the Lisp sonata. And Christmas um, tree suite, by the way. Yes, some movements of it. Yeah. So when you, mm. th when you see, so, okay, somebody's doing that on the organ, how are they going to do the... Bit. What's the what's the thing you're well, thinking of? Even the main opening theme, dum ba da with all the semiquavers everywhere. To hear that on an organ, where will this prom take place? Will it be in a cathedral? Of no, somewhere? in the Albert Hall. Oh, in the Albert on the Hall. Albert Hall organ. What an extraordinary thing! I can't imagine how that will be transcribed. Uh, yeah, it'll be intriguing to see about tempi and all that sort of thing too. Well, if it could sound magnificent when you think about it. You know, the, that grandiose theme. 
um, with all the chords. Exactly. Ah, be amazing. Well, that's the 28th of August. Mm. And, and the final one is Andrashev. Andrew Schiff playing yes. uh, Beethoven uh, Ops 109, 10, 11 with the last right. three yes. Beethoven sonatas. Yeah. Well, he's done both books of Bach Preludes and Fugues, hasn't he? So I guess he's on to the Beethovens at the proms now. But yes, that's, that's a program that a lot of people, well, a lot of people, uh, a certain number of people have done. Yeah, it's the last three sonatas. It's, and um, some people feel that they're meant to be heard together, that they were a big arch in Beethoven's mind. Well, listen, appears. thank you so much for your time and, and the beautiful cups of tea and the cake, which we haven't touched but now must eat. Um, all the best for your upcoming concerts. Thank you much. And Lee. especially 28th of December in the Wigmore. Oh, right. Yeah, it's a nice programme. Just Grieg and List. I don't know that I've ever seen it done by anybody else. I'm going to start with the Holberg Suite, which is so wonderful. And that's in G major. Right. And so that goes extraordinarily into the List Sonata in B minor, which starts on octave Gs. So I think that will be a wonderful prelude to the Sonata. And then after interval, we get the other way around. I'm going to play uh, seven movements out of the Christmas Tree Suite of List, which is not really known, but it's got all sorts of lovely things in it. Yeah. And finish with the Grieg Sonata. Hey. Well, all the best for that. All the best for your doings. I mean, you're the most incredible pianist. I mean, the fact that your proms, you know, history speaks of that. And uh, long may it continue. Thank you so much. Piers Lane, AO. <laughs> it's been a great pleasure. <laughs> Thanks, Piers Lane. One story we somehow forgot to get on tape. When Piers played the Rachmaninoff Concerto, his first appearance at the proms, he got off stage to realise that his flies had been open the entire time. <laughs> I hate it when that happens. That's a bloke thing. Probably the male equivalent to women finding the back of their dresses somehow got caught in their knickers. Well, the proms has been going on for over 100 years. It must have happened. Music for Royal Occasions was my concert at the start, but not any old Royal Occasions, of course. British Royal Occasions, the ones we do so well. Events at which somebody announces like this on the television the arrival at Westminster Abbey of Princess Anne, the Princess Royal, sporting a clown's nose and a false moustache. But what is it that makes music British? Is it anything you can march to? There's got to be tunes you can't march to. What about something as gentle as um, Spoonful of Sugar? You know, Julie Andrews, Mary Poppins? Not that, surely. <laughs> well, I still clearly have no idea of exactly what our brilliant regular guest, Harry the Piano, harrythepiano.com, is capable of. Here he is now. Don't forget to subscribe, or you can get in touch with us at www.promsinthepub.co.uk. And attention!
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.